Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. attention just for very intentionally for a few moments of your goodness of your love for us and just how much we have to be thankful for because of who you are and what you've done fathers we've stood before you this morning and let the praises of our lips the, the meditation of our hearts rise before you we pray that this has been a sweet sweet sound to your ears that the praises of your people have come before your throne have honored you have blessed you and now god as we turn to the pages of scripture we ask that you would speak to us that your Holy Spirit would move in us, move in our hearts and our minds, move our hands and our feet to serve you as we serve those around us. And Father, once again, we pray, teach us how to love better. We pray this in the name of the one who gave us and showed us the example of love, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Hey, it's great to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. Glad you're tuned in and participating with us online today. Uh, so thankful we get to spend this time together. Um, it's hard to believe. I actually, I was getting my hair cut this week, and the uh, the nice young man who cuts my hair, he's sitting in the back. Uh, the nice young man who cuts my hair asked me, y'all ready for Thanksgiving? And I thought, wait a minute, that's, that's next week, right? That, that, that's soon. No, we're not ready for Thanksgiving. Oh, my goodness. So it's hard to believe, isn't it, that the holidays are right in front of us. We're full force uh, into our holiday season. So I want to be sure you know what a couple things that are happening around here because we don't want you to miss it. Uh, the first is this um, afternoon, this evening, we're going to turn um, our church building uh, into uh, our, our holiday wonderland, if you will. Our, uh, we're going to be decorating for Christmas today so that uh, beginning next Sunday, the Sunday after Thanksgiving and all the way uh, into uh, January 1st of the, of the new year, uh, we'll be uh, as we worship together, just help us uh, get in the holiday spirit, get in the Christmas spirit as we worship together. And we would love to have some help. If you could be here this afternoon, we're going to start around 4. Uh, if you could be here this afternoon or this evening to lend a hand, as I say many times, uh, many hands make light work. And so we would appreciate uh, you uh, and your family if you could come and be with us and, uh, and help, uh, help out a little bit, get those uh, trees up and some decorations hung. And we look forward to sharing uh, that time with you. Uh, two weeks from tonight, uh, we are really in our holiday swing as we uh, bring back our annual Christmas craft workshop. Uh, that dinner will begin at 5.30. Uh, craft tables, 13 craft tables uh, this year set up. Uh, this is a fundraiser for our student ministry. Uh, every summer, our students uh, take a trip to a big conference. Uh, this year, they're heading up to Michigan. And uh, this is a fundraiser to help them get to, on, on that, uh, to that conference in Michigan this coming summer. And so uh, all, the, all the money that, that, that is raised through the donations for the dinner, donations for the craft, there'll be a bake sale actually be going on during our time together that Sunday morning. All that goes to help our kids get to, uh, to this conference in Michigan coming up later this summer. Uh, but you don't want to miss that. It's a lot of fun for the whole family. Bring your kids, bring your grandkids. A lot of fun for that Christmas craft workshop. That's in two weeks uh, from tonight. Uh, that dinner begins at 5.30. Of course, we're also going to have a Christmas Eve service this year. Uh, that'll happen, um, I think we'll do it on Christmas Eve. 
just for fun, uh, this year. Uh, so I hope you'll make plans to be here. Uh, that service will be at 6 o'clock this year, Christmas Eve, 6 o'clock. Uh, we'll talk more about that in days and weeks ahead. I do want to say thank you uh, very specifically to, to a, a, a young couple uh, who are a part of our church who are actually about to leave. Andy and Amber, I know you're going to hate this, but if you guys would come up here for just a second and get on TV, I uh, would appreciate that. Andy uh, was our worship minister for uh, several years. His wife, Amber, served as our church secretary as well. And they are, in just a couple of weeks, moving to a place colder than Ohio. And uh, we are excited for them, and we'll miss them. And we have a special gift for you guys. And want to just say we love you, we thank you, we're going to miss you. Hurry back. Come home and see us, and uh, um, that's for you and for your family. It's something easy that you can pack in the car to get to Alaska. Um, we thought about buying you a, re a recliner and a 72-inch TV, but you would have to just give it to me. So, yeah, so uh, if we could give Andy and Amber a great big hand and show them our love and appreciation. Love you guys. Thank you. Oh, I almost forgot this. Also, hey, if you weren't here last week, um, we missed you. We had a great time celebrating our 25th anniversary, and I need to say thank you to two people um, to, who made that day um, just fantastic for us, and that is Donna Beitzel and Gretchen Stokey. They were the, yeah, give them a great big round of applause as well. They were the kind of the ringleaders, the organizers uh, of all the stuff we did for the last uh, like eight months to celebrate our 25th anniversary. All of the different uh, the, the 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 Low Country Boil, the thing we did in the spring, uh, the 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 event we shared together last week. And so, if you see them, be sure you thank them. Tell them what a great job. Uh, we would not have enjoyed that celebration um, nearly as much if if I'd been in charge. Just I'm just telling you that uh, they did a fantastic job, and we appreciate them and their leadership and their organization and uh, their their vision for for such for such a beautiful event. And we appreciate that. Um, if you weren't here as a part of that um, last week, we do have a gift for you. Uh, we had these uh, beautiful little Christmas ornaments made with a little picture of the church on them, uh, just to commemorate our 25th anniversary. And if you did not, if you weren't here last week and didn't get one of these, we have one of these for every family who's a part of the church, every family who'd like to be a part of the church. So if you didn't get one of these, please um, see me. I've got a couple there at the table. We'll get some more um, there as you leave this morning. We want to be sure that every family has this kind of shiny in your eyes, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, we want to be sure that every every family has one of these to hang on your. Christmas tree. If you'd like some extras, uh, we'd be glad to sell you one. We'll talk about that. You, you ask me about that later. So I want to let you know that's happening. Um, there are few uh, expressions in life where two words, two simple words, can change the course of your life. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but sometimes two words can be so powerful, it'll change the entire trajectory of your life. Let me give you an example. I do. When you said I do, it changed the complete trajectory of your life, didn't it? How about this one? You're hired. That's a good, that's a good thing. Or the, the, the converse of that, you're fired. Now suddenly, the trajectory of your life has changed when you heard those words. How about this? Some of you have, have suffered through this. I'm leaving. Those two words change the trajectory. They change your life even though they hurt. Or this one. I'm pregnant. That'll get your attention, won't it? Or this one. It's twins. Yeah. <laughs> two words can get your attention there's an old old joke i've told this before indulge me about the the monk who who took a vow of silence went into the monastery took a vow of silence and said and, and, and by going to the monastery he was able to one one day a year come to the to the the head of the monastery and he was in, allowed to say two words one one day a year two words so for a whole year he sat in silence and on the day of his, uh, the anniversary of his, his coming into the monastery, he was able to go into the, the, the headmaster's office and, and give his two words. And his first two words were, 
food bad. And so he went a whole another year past. He comes back in the next year on the anniversary of his, of his uh, entering in the monastery. He has two words. He gets to say two words for this whole year. His two words are room cold. Comes in the third year. Says two words. Two words are bed hard. Comes in the fourth year. Has two words. Looks at the head of the monastery and says, I quit. The father says, well, it's no surprise to me you've done nothing but complain since the day you got here. <laughs> All right, it's, a, it's a horrible, it's a, it's a bad joke. I love that joke. There are few two-word combinations that I think have the power and the effect as the words thank you. And I think we need to talk about that on this Thanksgiving Sunday. Thank you is powerful. I believe those two words not only have the ability to brighten someone else's day, but those words, even when you say them, have the ability to brighten your day as well, to make your life better. When we live a life that is led by thanksgiving, by thank you. Because when you live with a spirit of gratitude, when you, when you live with a spirit of thankfulness, it, it chases the bad stuff away. Gratitude chases away envy. Gratitude chases away greed. Gratitude chases away cynicism. It, it has this way of, of pushing to the side the stuff that keeps us from being the men and the women that God wants us to be, the men and women we want to be. Gratitude pushes through pain. Gratitude helps us push through grief. It pushes away the blues. I'm learning, and I'm a slow learner, but I'm learning that gratitude is foundational for building a great life. Unofficially, we, we can, if you want to fine tooth it, we can. But the idea of, of being thankful, the idea of thanksgiving, the idea of gratitude shows up in Scripture at least 141 times in the pages of Scripture. That's a pretty major theme. And here's why I think this is. Because when you live like, when you, we live with the, with the idea that, that everybody, including God, that everybody owes me something, well, that's a pretty miserable way to live. If I just assume that everybody, including our creator, owes me, that's kind of miserable. When you go through your day with a sense of entitlement, when you, when you take everything for granted, when you expect everybody else to come through for you, when, 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 they, when you blame everyone else for all of your problems, when you blame your boss and you blame your spouse and you blame your parents and you blame your kids and you blame the preacher and you blame the neighbors and you blame the dog and you blame the, blame the Democrats and you blame the Republicans and you blame everybody else for your bad day, for your woes. And you go through your day with a chip on your shoulder, always playing the victim, always griping, always complaining about everything. You spend most of your waking hours cynical about life suspicious of other people and just flat out ticked off at God for somehow holding out on you. If you don't know this by now, that is a miserable way to live. That's a horrible way to live. But consider the flip side of that. I got to thinking about how grateful I am that my parents taught me, just almost beat it into me, the idea, the concept of always saying things like please and thank you. And to say it often. I'm grateful that they taught me to say yes, sir, and, and no, ma'am. I, I still do that. It's, it's a southern thing. I, I can't get over it. But what I found is that those simple instructions that my parents gave me are so much more than just having good manners. 
It's more than just knowing which fork to use at the fancy restaurant. It's more than just manners. To say thank you and to say it often, it, it reframes the way you see people. It reframes all of life. I mean, think about this for a second. It is hard to be genuinely grateful and arrogant at the same time. It's almost impossible to be grumpy, to be unfriendly and thankful at the same time. It's impossible to live with a heart full of gratitude and a heart full of resentment at the same time. One of them's got to go. They can't coexist. And I believe that a thankful heart has a way of helping you keep the right perspective about your expectations of your life and maybe more importantly for our purposes today, I think a thankful heart has a way of helping you keep the right perspective of the expectations you have of other people and even the expectations you have of God. Well, there's this great moment in the life of Jesus in Luke chapter 17. I want to read today. I want to kind of walk through this passage, this, this story, this narrative moment from the life of Jesus because gratitude this idea of gratitude is illustrated so well for us in these verses let, let me read it for you luke 17 i'm gonna start reading down at verse 11 luke writes it like this as jesus continued on toward jerusalem he reached the border town between galilee and samaria let's hold on for a minute you ever been to a border town maybe you've been to niagara falls or tijuana something like that my parents live in in tennessee very near the town of bristol tennessee in Bristol, Tennessee, sits right on the border of Tennessee and Virginia. As a matter of fact, there is a Bristol, Tennessee, and there is a Bristol, Virginia. And State Street runs right down the middle of these two cities. That's what separates the cities. You can stand in the middle of the street, if you don't get hit by a car, and there's a, a, a little plaque right, in, the, right in, the, in between the, the double yellow line, Tennessee on one side, Virginia on the, on the other side. Well, the place where Jesus is in this story was in Samaria. But there, there was more than just a geographical border between Galilee and Samaria in this moment. Where Jesus stands this day, there is also the border, the, the, the physical border of two regions. But there's also the border of us and them. The border of we're in, we're in Galilee, they're out, they're in Samaria. The border of lo God loves us Galileans, God hates you Samaritans. Every town has borders. Every school has borders. You walk through any high school in this county, and there's the haves and the have-nots. There's the jocks and the geeks, the pretty, the plain. We have a tendency to, to divide ourselves and to draw lines and to make borders so that we'll know who's in and who's out. And that is the way it was in the place where Jesus stands this day in Luke 17, verse 12. As he entered a village there, Ten lepers, now these are people who are suffering from the disease of leprosy. Ten lepers stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now this is a border within a border. Because outside the city limits of this border town, standing at a distance, not able to come near to the rest of the community, were these uninvited, these outcasts, these untouchables, these unwanted men and women these were lepers and they were required because of the skin disease this highly contagious skin disease they had they were required by law to keep their distance to stand away to you know this word to be quarantined 
Leprosy was, and still is, a very severe medical condition, condition, a highly contagious skin disease that affected and eventually infected not only your skin, but your internal organs, every piece, every part of your body. In the first century, it was even worse. Not only were there not antibiotics and medicine to help clear it up, but leprosy also created this huge social stigma as well. Lepers were physically and spiritually quarantined. This disease was seen to be a curse from God, and it announced to the whole world that there must be something wrong with you on the inside because you have this horrible disease. And so lepers were considered to be unclean on the outside because of the disease and unclean on the inside because of what was presumed to be what was wrong with them that made God give them this disease. And they were not only seen as unclean and not only labeled as unclean, they actually had to announce that they were unclean about themselves. And anytime they would get close to other people, anytime they needed to go to town to get something, they would have to just announce as they walked, unclean, unclean. And seldom the crowds got too close because they were quarantined. When they received news that leprosy had invaded their bodies, they were immediately taken out of the community, taken away from their homes, Immediately, in an instant, they lose their spouse, their kids, their jobs, their reputation, their positions in the community, their hands, their face, and eventually they'll lose their lives. They carried the disease and a stigma that isolated them socially, physically, and spiritually. They saw themselves and were seen as worthless, unwanted, wounded, untouchable. Mother Teresa spent most of her life working with lepers and leper colonies in the slums of Calcutta. She once wrote this about the people she worked with. We have drugs for people with leprosy, but drugs do not treat the main problem, the disease of being unwanted. You ever felt that way? These guys did walk through life and see your former neighbors at a distance to see your former buddies laughing and telling jokes at a distance to see your kids playing from a distance to be alive but to feel so dead that's what feeling untouchable undesired unwanted that's what that does to you and that's the way these lepers felt in Jesus' day in Luke 17. So here on the backside of this social border in this border town, they cry out to the one they had heard about. They cry out to the one whose reputation as seeing no one as untouchable had preceded him. And so they yell, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Verse 14, Jesus looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Now, when Jesus tells them to go show themselves to the priest, the only reason you would ever do that, the only reason you would go show yourself to the priest is if you had been healed. And the priest then had to certify that you were not unclean anymore. You go show yourself to the priest because something has happened to you. You've been healed, and they could check you out, and they could make sure that you were both medically and now spiritually clean. And notice the phrase here, as they went. As they went. They weren't healed yet. They weren't totally healed yet, and then, but they're still told to go show themselves to the priest. Jesus said, just 
just go just go so in faith believing what jesus has can and has done for them they they begin moving they begin heading towards the temple to the priest he's they're doing what jesus asked them to do and on the way in the middle of their obedience they were healed that might be a good sermon for another day one of them going on one of them when he saw that he was healed came back to jesus shouting praise god he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. I think Luke includes this little statement, this little phrase at the end of this, very intentionally. This little statement about this man being a Samaritan, it's kind of like a double whammy. Not only was he a leper, living on the wrong side of the border of society, he was also a Samaritan leper, seeming to be living on the wrong side of the border of with God that after receiving a touch from Jesus his heart is filled with so much gratitude and worship he just has to come back and say those two powerful words thank you Jesus asked didn't I heal ten men where are the other nine has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner and Jesus said to the man stand up and go your faith has healed you got to thinking there's a deeper healing brought on by those two words thank you those two words that this guy utters to jesus demonstrated that his heart not just his body but his heart was experiencing healing and because his heart was so filled with gratitude he just had to come back and say thank you let me give you four things just quickly this morning Four things that I've been learning about gratitude. I hope you'll take these with you into this week of Thanksgiving. The first thing I want you to notice is that gratitude is aware. To be a grateful person, you've got to be aware of what's going on around you. Gratitude is always noticing what God is doing in you and what God is doing around you. Verse 15 says that this leper, when he saw, when he became aware of, when he noticed that he was being healed that's when he came back to jesus he noticed in the moment that the healing was taking place in his body gratitude is to be aware of what is happening in the moment it's being alert it's being sensitive it's being attentive it's being responsive it's being aware gratitude notices gratitude looks around gratitude pays attention to what other people are doing maybe even for you. Gratitude lives aware of the goodness and the greatness of God all around us. So this Thanksgiving week, be aware. Pause and consider. Look around. Be aware of all the good things that God has for you. Notice them. Be aware. Someone wrote this. I don't know who it was. I just marked it as anonymous, but the, the, the quote is this contentment talking about being content in life contentment is not the achievement of all that we want it's the realization of all that we already have that's the secret of being living a content life is being aware of what you already have so gratitude is aware second gratitude is intentional it's on purpose what i mean is this gratitude is a choice that you make constantly consciously intentionally i don't care how much you hang around church all right yes i do I, I do care how much you hang around church but i just showing up at church 
does not guarantee that all of a sudden that you're going to be a thankful person. You can know all the right things to say. You can know all the 141 verses of the Bible that talk about thanksgiving and still not choose to live a life with a heart that says thank you. Sue Monk Kidd is, is an author. She writes this. It's anguish to come to that place in your life when you know all the words and none of the music. What a miserable way to live. Where you know in your head that, that, that what I'm talking about here today is right. When you know that gratitude is a good thing and intellectually you know that having a thankful heart is a good thing, but you never let the music resonate deep within you. Don't let that happen to you. Let gratitude fill your heart, because if you don't, you, you'll just say, just trapped in this self-imposed prison of entitlement and gloom. H have you noticed this? Thankful people, grateful people, they're just more fun to be around. I mean, don't you feel stupid when you're whining and complaining, and, and all of a sudden you're around somebody who's really thankful? It's hard to be grumpy around people that are thankful people. They're kind of like thermostats. They they set the temperature of the conversation. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, be joyful always, pray continually. Read this part out loud with me. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Have you ever wondered what God's will is for your life? That's it. There it is. God's will for your life is that you give thanks. Gratitude is a choice that we all make. It is intentional. Give thanks in, not some, not many, but in all circumstances. Here's number three. Gratitude is inclusive. It's not easy to give thanks when tough stuff is coming your way. It's not easy to give thanks when life just stinks sometimes. Because life just stinks sometimes. Listen, I, I know I haven't been through what many of you have been through in your life. Uh, but I haven't been exempt either. And I'm still trying to learn that a thankful heart really does take the edge off of life. When your heart is full of gratitude, even, even when we're going through the tough stuff, your anxiety decreases. Your, your trust increases. It keeps your focus on what is eternal, not just what's on, what, no, what is temporary. It allows you to see the value of character development that's going on inside of you. James says this, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you will become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any, any way. Being thankful in those circumstances allows God to go to work on you. Let me read this couple of paragraphs from this author and, and theologian named Henry Nguyen phenomenal mind he writes this to be grateful for the good things that happen in our lives is easy but to be grateful for all of our lives the good as well as the bad the moments of joy as well as the moments of sorrow the successes as well as the failures the rewards as well as the rejections oh he says oh that requires some hard spiritual work still we are only grateful people when we can say thank you for all that has brought us to this present moment as long as we keep dividing our lives between events and people we would like to forget, we can't claim the fullness of our beings as a gift from God to be grateful for. He concludes it like this. Let's not be afraid to look at 
everything that has brought us to where we are now and trust that we will soon see it in the guiding hand of a loving God. We should probably pay attention to the truth, the fact that a big chunk of scriptures that talk about thankfulness, that talk about gratitude, are in a part of the Bible we call the prison letters. The Apostle Paul writes these letters when he is a prisoner. He is in jail. And one of the things that he says from his jail cell over and over and over again is, I'm thankful for this. I thank God for that. My heart is swelling in gratitude for this. I'm so grateful for this. 33 different times in these letters, 33 different times written from prison, Paul expresses gratitude. Here's one of them, Philippians chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How do you pray? You pray with thanksgiving. Last one, gratitude is God-centered. Our gratitude has to, there has to be a focus of our gratitude, doesn't there? It just has to be. G.K. Chesterton, the, the, angel, the, the old, old preacher, said this, the worst moment for an atheist is when he or she feels grateful and there's no one to thank. The heart of gratitude is anchored in the trust that there is someone to actually thank. The writer of Hebrews says this, do you, do you see what we've got? We've got an unshakable kingdom. And do you see how thankful we must be? Not only thankful, but brimming with worship, deeply reverent before God. The grateful heart is the one that just cries out, thank you, God. Gratitude is God-centered. I read this great story this week about the, the Thanksgiving celebration. The family was a big family gathered around the big table and all the food's there. And they're ready to eat and they're staring at the holiday bird, the turkey sitting on the table. And so from the youngest... I'm sorry, from the oldest to the youngest, they went around the table and they were each to express their praise, something they were thankful for. Maybe you do something similar around your table this week. And when they came to the five-year-old in the family, as he sat there looking at the turkey, just glistening, all brown and ready to go, he began looking at the turkey and he began to express his thanksgiving to the turkey. <laughs> saying although he had not yet tasted the turkey, he knew that turkey was going to be delicious. And after a revel, rather novel expression of thanksgiving, he began to be, uh, began with a more predictable line of thanksgiving credits, thanking his mother for cooking the turkey and thanking his father for buying the turkey, but he went beyond that. He joined together a whole hidden multitude of benefactors, liking them with cause and effect. He said, I thank you for the checker at the grocery store who checked out the turkey. I thank you for the grocery store people who put the turkey in the freezer. I thank you for the farmer who made the turkey fat. I thank you for the man who grew the feed to feed the turkey to make it fat. I thank you for all those who brought the turkey to the store so they could put it in the freezer so we could check it out so mom could cook it. And using his little CSI-like mind, he traced that turkey all the way from its origin all the way to the Thanksgiving Day table. And then at the end, he solemnly said, did I leave anybody out? And his little two-year-old sister, frustrated by how long this had taken, finally said, God, you left out God. And solemnly, without being flustered, the five-year-old looked at his sister and said, oh, I was just about to get to him. 
Well, that's the question for us today and this week, I think. Are we really going to get to him this Thanksgiving? If I were really honest here, I would tell you that I find myself most of the time asking God for stuff more than thanking God for what he's done in my life. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to begin to move to our time of communion. If our communion team wants to go ahead and take their places, get ready to serve us. I want to give you a moment to just pray a prayer of thanksgiving. I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads and close your eyes, and I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to let you start the prayer, and then I'm going to finish it. And in this little prayer time, as we sit here in the quiet of this room, I'm just going to ask you to pray, not for anything, but just pray a prayer of thanksgiving. And maybe your list needs to be as detailed as that little five-year-old around the, di the, the dinner table. But you just spend a few moments silently in this room as we get ready to take communion. You just spend some time thanking God for who he is and what he's done. You start the prayer, I'll finish it. today we say thank you. Oh, Father, how it must try your patience to watch us this time of the year just hurl ourselves into a season of greed and grumbling. Your blessing, your goodness, your, your bounty have been poured out to us that we may be strengthened to be your people, to serve others, to love those around us. And yet we persist in attaching ourselves to the great gimmies of the world. Give, give me toys and give me wealth and give me power. So today we are gathered here with an opportunity to step out of the race to possess and to praise you and to thank you for the wonderful ways in which you have blessed our lives. We spend a lot of time looking for the big blessings when, when all around us there are the delightful blessings of everyday living, our families, our homes, our friends, the ability to enjoy laughter, the ability to share tears. God, there are so many ways in which you have touched our lives with your love. So help us develop, for, for, for all of our lives, develop an attitude of thanksgiving, never failing to thank you each day for your love and your blessings. Help us to reach out to one another and to all those in need with this kind of compassionate, grateful love. We ask this in the name of Jesus.